0: I think this is my favorite meeting of the whole week. I don't know about you. I pray about it. I feel clearly the Lord shows me what to do and where to go each time. He does that not for my sake, but for your sake. He loves to feed his sheep. He loves to feed his people. But... I don't really prepare a whole lot. I mean, I've got stuff that I've written through the years. and and um, But I think why I like tonight is we could just let it flow and just follow the Lord and see what happens. And So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been talking for some time about dealing with the devil. Somebody has to. And uh, you can pray and ask God to do it, and he won't. In part because he's turned it all around. Says I've given you authority. And he wants us to use that authority. Sometimes you have to get mad at the devil. You have to raise your voice. You have to speak to him. I don't do it. And I don't do it very much. Certainly don't do it in public. I know there's a lot of meetings. where that's how they begin the meeting. I just never like that. You don't hear me do it. Because I I don't want to give him any honor. Or glory. Or attention. uh, At all. And so. But in my house, and uh, when I pray, I pray for people all through the week. uh, People writing for prayer, and I I just I raise my voice and tell him where to get off, and somebody has to. And uh, there's times I feel like he harasses me. I had a pastor one time, and he said the devil gets on my case so much sometimes. He says all I can do is run in my house and lock myself in the closet. And I thought, whoa. Somebody's got to stand up to the devil. You don't lock yourself. You don't run. He's the one that's supposed to flee. It says resist him, he'll flee. But Ephesians six. Let's take our time. I don't hardly ever get to teach this. <clears throat> but um, there's lots of ways to teach this passage of of scripture. I've heard it different ways. Um, We'll begin in verse 10. But let's work our way through it. And, and maybe what we'll see happen is we'll, we might develop this in a, in a two-track uh, form of teaching, taking it personally and then taking it corporately as a church. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. So he, he wants you to experience his power. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Um, I, I, maybe I'll just take my time and go through each line here. So the whole armor of God, it's the entire armor of God. And what he's about to do here is list the entire the whole armor of God. After this list, there's nothing that I know that you need to be able to stop the devil. So this is a complete list. He doesn't say, etc., etc, etc. He doesn't say, "You need holy water." He doesn't need, He doesn't say anything about rosary beads. He doesn't say about anything about uh, little statues of Jesus on the on the dashier car. Uh, he doesn't list any of those things as protection uh, or weaponry. And so this is this is a complete list. Uh, let, let me say it this way: Here he leaves a church that he started from nothing. He started with twelve people, twelve men. And um, maybe 12 families, and became one of the greatest churches in the the world. And in a a citywide church, I've been to Ephesus uh, twice now. Walking the streets of Ephesus, and and um, uh, the big church, the bones of big church buildings. There's about three of them that showed that there are massive buildings. But over around the year 350 or so, Constantine legalized church gatherings. And so up until that time, they met in homes. And so as soon as they could meet together in one place, they they built massive basilicas. Basilicas were uh, common buildings in, in the Roman period where it was a, a barn-like building that could get a lot of people, seat a lot of people. They used them for civic meetings. We've now Christianized the word basilica, St. Peter's Basilica. But a basilica was really a uh, a public meeting house, and it had these large columns that looked like a barn. In fact, I see them in Spain and Portugal and uh, in rome i'll see i 'll see some of those original style buildings that looks like a barn. Uh, even when you build a barn here it 's one of the best shapes to get a, the most amount of stuff in it and then I had these columns, colonnades. Uh, columns in the, in the rows, and you sat on the floor. They didn't have chairs like this, they sat on the floor, you can get a lot of people. And then they had a, the sound system, Caleb, you'd be interested in knowing this, the sound system was just a curved wall in behind the speaker that would amplify the guy's voice, and all the leaders would sit up there, the people would sit on the floor. You could pack a lot of people in. So the ones at Ephesus, Ephesus was a, when they met in homes at the time that Paul's writing, uh, probably Ephesus was about a half a million people, a huge city, and there was a, there was church everywhere, church in homes it was huge, scattered throughout so he 's not writing to a little congregation like ours he 's not writing to a, a people in a building like this he 's writing to Christians who are in homes scattered but it 's a large number uh, uh, the tr- The city had become Christianized and um, so He's writing to them, he's about to leave them, or he's left them to, by this time, and he wants to write them to tell them how they can survive as a church in the midst of darkness, in the midst of um, a pagan culture. The government was pagan, uh, pro-homosexual, pro uh, philosophy, vain philosophy, uh, lots of murder. I mean, if they wanted to get rid of their political opponents they didn't vote them out, they killed them. Um, don't wish for that. That was not a good period in in, in uh, Rome, so uh, it really destabilized the whole country. But he's writing them saying, "Here's how you can stand. Here's how you can make it, even though everything against everything around you is against you and foreign to what we believe. You can survive. And it's kind of like leaving your baby. So you got this little baby. Where's Scott? Is he in here? He, he's still out there, I guess." Imagine his little daughter leaving her among all these bikers, you know, all these, uh, uh, you know, it, so vulnerable. But uh, what Paul believed and what Jesus believed is that that was not just survivable, but they could thrive if they, if they had a list of things that they could do. And this list is short, and this list is powerful. And it's complete. You don't need anything else. This is how a church can survive, no matter what, what is going on in the culture, what's going on in the country. People have taken encouragement from this. And uh, they, they, there's teaching. You've heard it. You probably did it at some point in time. But they teach you to put on the armor of God every day. And so you'd actually suit up. You'd use your imagination And you put on the breastplate, you put on the helmet, and you'd go through a ritual. And it was uh, probably began with parents trying to get their kids to be mindful. And the emphasis, though, went on the armor. In fact, uh, I remember seeing plastic armor, uh, little plastic helmets, little plastic shields and shin pads, plastic sword. Anyone see that? Did you have one? Anyone? Did did you have one? Did you wear one at all? Yeah. did anyone wear one at all? You did. Wow. So, but it was a way to get this uh, concept down, except they never told you about truth. They never told you about righteousness. They never told you about the Spirit speaking through you. The emphasis was on the, on the physical part of it. And the way it was taught originally is that Paul was in a Roman prison, and four times a day, because there would be changing of the guards, uh, uh, four times a day, uh, two guards would come in, take off their street clothes, and put on armor. And he would watch this. And somehow it sparked, and he said, that's what the church needs. The church needs armor. I don't know that it happened that way. And the, and the Roman breastplate didn't have a uh, back on it. It was just the front. Means, and they took encouragement that you are never to turn your back on the devil. He was the one that was to flee. You were never to, to run away. So it's been taught lots of different ways but I think, I think we've missed it by overemphasizing the physical part of it and de-emphasizing the spiritual part of it. And so uh, this is what it would take for a church to survive in a sea of darkness. And this is what it's going to take for you to survive in a sea of darkness and get, get home free in one piece. And so are you interested in looking at these two tracks? We'll take it apart. So, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Do you remember? uh, Some of you probably never watched TV growing up, but there was a cartoon, a very, very old cartoon series called The Roadrunner. Anyone see Roadrunner? Yeah. You? You saw Roadrunner? So, what was the name of the coyote? Wily Coyote, and that's where it comes from right here. It says, uh, You're able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The reason he was called Wily Coyote is he was full of tricks. You know, he'd paint paint the side of a mountain like it was a tunnel, thinking that maybe the roadrunner would hit the hit the, the wall and that would be the end of him. So the devil has, and the word here is mental trickery. So the enemy has tricks. He only he doesn't have very many. I mean, he's got like six. He he really doesn't have very many, and he's not very creative. But what he does is he knows people. He's been working with people for so long, he knows what, what people go for. And those five or six pieces that he does are effective because we fall for it time and time again. And so uh, the battle, the battle for your heart takes place in your head. Say that, could you say that to yourself right now? The battle for my heart is in my head. Almost everything the devil does to try to stop you takes place in your head and it's to get you to believe it's to get you to believe in a way that hurts you that separates you from him, separates you from others who could help you, separate you from the body and and his mental trickery is to is effective in stopping people and this this weaponry again it has nothing to do with shields and swords it has to do with Uh, spiritual concepts that stop the devil cold. Are you interested? Want to go with me along this line? Let's look at it. So I taught this morning, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, so our fight's not with people, it's not personality conflicts, but against principalities. Now, what he's about to list here, so we do fight, we do fight, but it's not against people. uh, Principalities against powers, Against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, he's listing a, a higher hierarchy. No, I'm not going to get this right. A hierarchy of demons. They have an order just like the angels. Uh, the first angel, the number one angel, top angel, is an angel. and that word "arch" or "ark" is number one. It's, it means number one. And so there's a there's a priority among the angels of all different functions and all different responsibilities. They all have different degrees of authority. So do the bad guys. They were actually angels at one time. So uh, the principalities, that's a level of demonic influence. Powers, that has to do with authorities. Rulers of the darkness, look so at, I think it actually gets lower and lower. Rulers of the darkness of this age, so it's, If you you were to leave the planet Earth in the spirit, if you leave your body here, and you were to go to paradise, people who've done it and have come back, they tell stories of going through incredible darkness, like clouds of pollution, and it gets, it's darker, and then it gets light, and then they get to paradise, and people who've gone through it have been able to say, come back and say, that darkness wasn't... Physical darkness. It wasn't darkness like looking at the night. It was spiritual darkness. It, the, the, this earth is polluted with demons, polluted with physical beings or spiritual beings that make darkness up, and and they travel through that. And uh, of course, that that entity is speaking, and that's it's always speaking. You're no good. You'll never make it. God doesn't love you. You've done too much. You you haven't done enough. Uh, it's, it's constant. There's a constant drain on our batteries where we're hearing voices of darkness who are always speaking, constantly speaking, saying, you might better give it up. You're not going to make it. You're no good. You're, you, you've gone too far. Um, those voices, it's kind of like elevator music that... It plays in the background. You're not fully aware of it, but then when you stop and think about it. You hear it. It's there. The darkness is always speaking. And then there are spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There's some demons that are very easy to kick out. Very, You just tell them and they leave. And then the higher the authority, the more laborious it takes for them to get control of that person, the harder it is. And sometimes it takes time for that to take place. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So he wants to push you, he wants you to respond, he wants to move you, he wants to influence you, he wants you to quit. And so the funny thing about, the funny thing about this level of authority is even a little child who doesn't even know the Lord, just a little child can actually say no to the devil in his influence and it stops the devil cold. It, somebody has to stand. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth talked about being on a bus in England one day and you know these double-decker buses and he was on this bus and this lady was coming down the street in a hurry to get on the bus. She left, left the house in a hurry and her little dog had followed her. And she stopped, and everybody's watching the scene play out on the sidewalk. And she says, now go on home, go on home. And, and he just keeps yapping and, and following her. She takes a few more steps toward the bus, and the dog keeps following. And she stops, and she says, now go on. I said, go on home. And Smith is watching this whole thing, and the dog follows her a little bit more. And she's about to get on the bus. Finally, she put her foot down. She says, I said get and she put her foot the, the dog all the way home, and he laughed. He said, that's how you deal with the devil. He told everybody on the bus, that's how you deal with the devil, right there. Somebody has to say no. The, the devil can't make you do anything. You have to say no. He can't make you do anything. Unless he lives inside of you, is sitting down in your heart, and he's the ruler of your life, and you've let him in. He... He can't make you do anything. And we see that when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he gets him up on the temple, the corner of the temple, downtown Jerusalem. He can't push him off. He can't make him jump. Jesus said, no. The Bible says, or Scripture says, or God said. And that's it. Every time the devil tried to make it, he'd say, no. This is what Scripture says. And that was the end. I mean, the, the devil had nothing else to say. So this whole thing of standing, when you don't know what to do and you feel under pressure, just stand. Just don't move. Just, just don't give in to the pressure. Having done all to stand, to stand. Having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girded about, your waist girded about with truth. And so truth, truth will set you free. Jesus said that in John Truth will set you free. Majoring on the truth, believing the truth. In fact, listen now, all kinds of truth will set you free. Not just Bible truth. Truth, just reality. Just a moment of reality. Just to find out, oh, it's not what I was thinking, can set you free. So, uh, rather than emphasizing uh, the belt um, around the waist... um, let's de-emphasize the, 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 I mean, it's a very clever way that God gave Paul for you to remember these things. It makes it memorable, but you, know, you already know that part. So let's look at it. Truth, and this, is, this word isn't Bible, Bible truth. It has more to do with the word integrity. And the word integrity has to, be, has to mean um, being honest. Being honest with yourself, honest with God. If you're honest, If you just be honest, even about your true condition, even if you're honestly saying, I don't feel like worshiping the Lord, if you can just be honest about it, it stops the devil from using you like a yo-yo, playing with your head. Just integrity, just being honest to God, honest with each other. Truth will stop the devil cold. He can't get a hook in you if you just be honest, I think that was david 's saving element. David was full of integrity uh, that 's why God used him so much. He was a man after his own heart and, and when he surrendered his integrity, he went downhill with the whole story of Bathsheba, and he lied and he, he lived the life of a lie. Someone said that all those who commit adultery are liars, they go hand in glove there's something to that but this whole thing of loving the truth, embracing the truth, being honest. Uh, when this past week, God spoke to me several times out of, out of the scripture, and I wrote them down. And then through the week, I would play them back to Him. But for me just to take it on, saying, Lord, you, you got me. You're speaking to me. You're, you're coming through. I got it. I wrote down what you're saying. That just even handling the truth, even just being honest, with the fact that God is speaking truth truth will set you free and keep you free it's um, uh, let me take a minute and see if I can say this on the battlefields of the Civil War you see these old little black and white pictures or World War One, or World War Two you see the photograph of, the, of people who've died in battle. What you don't see and what you don't hear, if that photograph, if, if it was a recording, what you'd hear is the buzz of flies. And that was the strange thing when soldiers, farm boys from Pennsylvania and New York would go into these battles. The thing that shocked them is when there was a battle, flies. Flies came by the billions over the battlefield. and, and uh, because there's all these corpses and horses, and there's a drone, the sound of flies. And uh, this guy named Rick Joyner, and he, he was the one that made this come alive for me, and he said, he said the devil, one of the devil's names is the father of flies. It's the word Bebelzebub. It means fly father. <laughs> so what a name. I'm, fly, I'm the father of flies, you know. But where there's a wound, there's flies. So if you get wounded, spiritually speaking, you get offended, you get hurt, that wound, if it doesn't get healed, if you don't bring it to Jesus and get healed, there will be it'll attract flies. Now listen, here's what Rick Joyner said that's worth noting. Where there's flies, there's lies. Wherever there's flies, there's lies. So I see people get wounded, and it isn't long before they're, they're, they're believing things that aren't true. They're believing things that they shouldn't believe about themselves, about others, about the church. Where there's an a unhealed wound, if that stays there, it'll turn into you believing something that isn't true about yourself or about God or about others. Where there's flies, there's lies. And it, and it, it plays out. I see it happening uh, all the time. I see people who are wounded who become delusional, believing very strongly. So, so the whole point of part of being in our fellowship, the reason God wants us to stay together, be together, regardless of COVID, regardless of what's, what, what's mandated from Washington, all of that, is we need to be around each other because we become sources of truth. Prophetically, or just being, honest, just say no. say it's not that way, you know. You're talking to someone, and someone tells you the lie that they're believing, because it always comes out of their mouth, and you say no, no, it's uh, that's not true. That's not that's not the way it is. We need each other. It's it's the way we're going to make it in the end. And he said, if you just cultivate among your among your people and among your relationships, honesty, integrity. We just live in the light. We, we, we're honest with ourselves. We're honest with each other. We live that, we cultivate that life of confronting. I taught about that a little bit this morning where you can actually say to the person, well, I know you say that and you believe that, but I don't think that's true. I think that's healthy for us to be in a fellowship that has that kind of honesty among ourselves. Is that, is that right? Is that what you think? The second thing is righteousness. And <clears throat> righteousness, let's take it corporately first. If the enemy wanted to bring wellspring down, one of the things would happen is unrighteousness would take place and we wouldn't do anything about it. We'd sweep it under the carpet. We'd just say, well, yeah, sin happened, but we're not going to discipline anything. We're not going to address it. We're not going to do anything with that. And it wouldn't take long for the enemy to work his way in, and that's the end of our church. So there's times, it hasn't happened very much, but there are times we have to sit down with people and say, this can't continue. This this is over. This stops now. Part of our preservation of of righteousness isn't self-righteousness, and it's not for our own glory. It stops the devil. He can't He can't work his work. He can't get a hook in people who are living righteously, doing right, living right, living right by God's standard, living right in the sight of God, living right among each other, right dealings among each other, living uprightly. That's the same concept here. So being upright and being honest, those two things will stop the devil. He He can't work with you. He can't get a hook in you. And so there's times that uh, it'll happen, mark my words, this will happen sometime in our church, we might have to discipline somebody, and people will be all upset and say, well, I I don't agree with that, we should just all just, you know, forgive all of everything that happened. Well, yes, but we have to watch the righteousness, we have to make sure that God is pleased and we're doing things right in the sight of the Lord, we're doing, we're living biblically, this is, this is our basis of righteousness. So it's not about rule keeping or legalism. You can go off in that ditch. But there is something about righteousness. Now let's take it to you and I personally. As far as your personal armor. There's times when the enemy gets all over me and makes me feel like I'm not acceptable to God. Because I don't always do everything right. I'm not even talking about sin. I mean, just not doing my devotions as the way I should, breaking a fast, uh, misspeaking, um, all, all kinds of stuff. Plus, there's that, that fallen nature that's always wicked, always suggesting wickedness. And so there's times where I don't feel right with God. If you don't feel right with God, you can't pray. You can't lift your face to him. So there's times where I stop the devil and say, I am right with God. Not because I'm right, but because he's clothed me with his righteousness. I can't be any more right with God than I am right now because I've accepted the clothing, the righteousness of God, and and I am right with God. Sometimes I have to get right out and say it out loud. I am right with God. And it stops him because uh, that's, that sense of and that being right with God is everything. It really is everything. So there's times that works for me where I say, okay, I'm I am embracing the, the righteousness of Christ that He's given me as a gift until I get my act together. But I'm still trying to walk out righteously. In my relationships and in my behavior before God, I'm still trying to walk that out, but I'm already covered. In the time that I fail, it says, in fact, in Proverbs, it says, a righteous man, which is an interesting language, says a righteous man follows seven times. In other words, you'll miss it, even though you're righteous. A righteous man follows seven times. The difference with the righteous and the wicked is the righteous gets back up and tries to be right again, trying to walk this thing out. I'll work with people who've sinned, who, who have sinned. And the grief is so so thick, and a sense of death on them is so thick, spiritual death, where they feel separated from God. That's what death means. That I have to almost like artificial respiration where I have to breathe in them verses that says, okay, now you've asked God to forgive you. Now let's let's embrace his righteousness. And it's, it's almost like strapping on a life jacket that keeps you drowning in a dark sea of, of, of being rejected by God. And so this, this righteousness stops the devil cold. It's not just living right, doing right, it's being right as a gift. Uh, probably of all, the, of all the weaponry that I've made the most use of uh, consciously has been this one it has helped me more than i can say now this uh, verse 15 having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace i don't really know what that means i honestly i'm not sure that could that can mean a lot of things here's how i use it the most i think the gospel of peace is reconciliation i think the gospel is Is I'm at peace with God and I'm at peace with you. And anytime something breaks that, I I need to go back and mend it and address it and get right and, and acknowledge it and create, establish that line of peace again. It's funny that if a church is constantly reconciling, constantly getting people to come back together, taking two fractions that weren't getting along and Bringing them back together and insisting that they live differently. Uh, reconciling where there's an injustice. Uh, reconciling people to God. As long as we're constantly bringing people and saying, look, you need to, you need to get back to God. You need to be reconciled to God. You, you've done your own thing, and, and but he has forgiven you, so you need to come back to God. That alone will act like an armor on the church. I've been I've been around churches, and you have too, I'm sure most of you have, where they don't do that, uh, where they isolate people for their weaknesses and for even for their sins. I saw a lot of this in Ukraine where there's heavy, lots of legalism. And they just cut people off and isolated people constantly. They cut them off. You can't come to our church anymore. And there wasn't another church for 100 miles. So when you can't go into this church, that's it. And sometimes in our circles, it's our brand of church. You can't come to our brand of church anymore. And uh, that's huge for some families. And so um, this whole thing of there's always hope as long as we're alive on this planet, you can be reconciled to God. As long as, as, long as you're alive, you can always come back to God. And I'm working the angles, I'm always trying to get I'm working tonight to try to get you closer to God. I'm working, I'm I'm working this right here tonight. I want all of us to get closer to God. And the, if that's my if that's my constant. It stops the enemy from dividing us and separating us and working to work in our midst. I'll tell you this: you'll do better spiritually the more you're out trying to reconcile people to each other and to God. Uh, your your spiritual life will be shinier, you'll have more power, you'll you'll uh, you'll be able to go further, you'll feel more spiritual just by always having your feet shot In my wake, everywhere I go, I'm just trying to get people back together again. I'm trying to make marriages stronger. I'm turning fathers toward their sons, their sons toward their fathers. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get churches to like each other, get churches to work together. We'll do meetings next week in Ohio. And that's where that came out of. We, we use these big Amish donuts to bring a bunch of pastors together. And, and, and uh, I mean, their size of a small tire. And um, but the whole idea is somebody needed to make an effort to get pastors and churches to come together. So we're having tent meetings in Ohio this coming week of a bunch of churches that never related together before at all. But the reason we're doing that is because we think, we think it stops the devil. It stops, he can't work where there's unity among the brethren. This gospel of peace, having your feet everywhere you walk, it's reconciliation, reconciliation, reconciliation. You can't go wrong. Amen? Above all, so there's some priority here. Above all, the shield of faith. Faith, and and I don't know how to, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to get our faith jacked up. Faith is everything. And when I see people struggling down here and they're struggling in And the devil's just walking all over them. For the most part, what I feel like injecting in them, what I feel like—I feel like grabbing a hold of them and saying, "Just believe, believe the promises, believe God, believe that He will work with you, believe that there's an end to this. Just, just believe." I wish there was a way we could can it in an aerosol can and we can spray it on people, uh, or turn it into a salve and we can smear faith on them. Faith is everything. Faith, faith stops the devil. And, and as a church, it's a constant here. We're just constantly trying to get you to believe God. Take him at his word, believe his promises. He's a man of his word. He's full of integrity. If he's set up, will he not do it? He's not a man that he should lie or the son of man who should lie. We take him at his word. Believe. Faith is everything. And when we get to heaven, one of the things we're going to find out is the currency of heaven, the only thing that's really of any value because it's not silver and gold. I mean, the streets are paved with it. You've heard that before. Uh, I mean, it's not, mat- it's not marble. It's not jewels. It's not... Uh, the, the thing in heaven that everybody wishes that they had more of it's not money. It's not time. It's faith. We'll see each other's faith somehow. We'll wear it like a badge somehow. And people say, Oh, look at the faith on that guy. I wish I had faith like that. I wish I, I, wish I had his faith. So anything you're going through here that you can build faith and, and try God and try his word and believe and Stick with it, man, it pays off. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. He's trying to build your faith. I think it's above all. I think it's the key. It's the key to almost everything you're going through. It's faith, faith, faith. Now, there's a thing back in the, started in the 70s. um, Maybe it started in the 50s, but I, I saw it in the 70s. In the 80s, it it really became a a big thing. It's called the Word of Faith Movement. And uh, anyone familiar with that? Come out of Oklahoma, Texas, a little bit of that. It It was of God. It was a word from the Lord. It was a movement. I mean, it was a real God thing. If you saw Christianity on the other side of that movement, it'd be so distasteful to you today because it was so poor and beggarly, and they just, they believed wrong, and they believed that, God wanted you to be sick and God wanted you to be poor and he'd make you poor and you could never your business could never be successful because God wanted it that way. I mean, it was a whole different mindset. and we've all benefited from a group of people pressing in and saying no, and they majored on faith, they taught faith from every angle. But some of the people actually took that message, hijacked it, and turned it into this selfish thing where it's all about, you have a faith so that you can get personally more rich and and you'd be better off and be more successful than other people. And I just the flesh just kind of took that in a way so that today if you teach faith or teach the faith message, some people will say, Whoa, that sounds like that movement, but faith is faith is essential to winning this war. Uh, is so important, and we, I, I, we can't get a, enough of it. We can't. Uh, I under-teach it, probably. I, I it comes out because it leaks out of me. It leeches. but I wish we could just teach faith for a year. I, I mean, just go at it from every angle. We need this concept deeply in our lives. I see it almost every day as I'm working with people that I just try to get them just to believe. So it'll, stop, it'll quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. So the enemy's shooting at you. A fiery dart will actually make your cheek turn. It'll make you blush. It'll be a thought that goes through and it actually feels like your temperature just risen on the inside. You'll have thoughts that go through your mind that, that you actually feel physically like your temperature just gone up. That's, you've just been hit with an arrow, I think. The helmet of salvation... Salvation is a big word. Uh, I think I was teaching this word so-so. We're teaching about healing, teaching about deliverance. It's, salvation here is healing, deliverance, protection, provision. It's a huge word that has to do with God helping you. And so you have to take on, almost like to protect your mind, the fact that he wants to heal you. He wants to help you. He's already decided. He didn't even decide in your case whether he's going to help you. He decided a long time ago that this is the day of salvation. He's released it. His salvation is full and it's free. And so we have to get our our minds renewed that the first thing you think of, uh, it's funny when people aren't in in our circles and they're not thinking this way. Now it sounds so foreign. they'll They'll say, well, what makes you think God wants to heal this person? Well, we just believe he does. That he died on the cross to take our sins and he whipped alive at a nine, with a, on a post with a cat of nine tails to purchase healing. Why can't we believe that he just wants to heal us? We just believe that deliverance is always available. We just believe that he always wants to help. We, we don't believe... We don't even entertain the other possibility that it even exists. I'm so far out in this salvation that I don't even think about whether or not he'll help me. If I crawl out, I cry upon him, he will help me. It's just, it's just part of salvation. Having this mindset is part of, part of the helmet of salvation. Let me, let me see if I can build this for you. Just take a few minutes if I can get this concept, this huge concept. Part of this helmet of salvation is this. There's things that you can and cannot do legally. You can't go outside the boundaries of this. This is, if you go outside the boundaries of this, you're trespassing. So this is, this is what, what, this tells you what you can legally do and what you, can, what you can't legally do. Everything in it. From Leviticus, I mean, it all works. This tells you what you can legally do. You can't, and to be lawless, lawless is going outside the Word, just doing your own thing. Lawlessness will wreck your life. So I'm bound, I'm bound by this. That's one reason I need to know the Bible. This tells me what I can legally do. The devil is limited. The devil is bound by certain laws, and he cannot do whatever he wants to do. He's he's limited legally. He has to get permission to do things. He has to get permission from God or from you. He has to get permission. We see in the book of Job where he's walking. Back and forth, he he stands for a moment before the throne of God, and God says, where have you been? He's, well, you know, same old, same old. I'm just walking to and fro throughout the earth, which is, he's looking for an opportunity to wreck people's lives. So, God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's fun. Well, no, I never thought of Job because you've got this hedge of protection all around him. And he's so blessed that I never thought of Job. He said, well, you can touch his stuff, but you can't touch him. And, and uh, oh, well, actually, I missed it. The devil said, but I know people. And if if you take away his stuff, he'll curse you to your face. So God says, okay, you can touch his stuff, but you can't touch him. That's a legal limit, and the the devil's bound by it. So he goes, he takes his stuff, his camels, his she-asses, his donkeys, he takes his stuff. Some of it is stolen, gangs stole it, different things like that. But Job responds the right way, so sometime later, the devil's standing, and he comes before the throne of God, and God says, where have you been? That means he's on a very short leash. That means he's accountable. When people ask, where have you been, you're being accountable. We need to be a lot more accountable. There's safety in it. He's, well, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. He's, well, what about Job? He's, well, yeah, Job. Job. I touch this stuff, yeah, but I know people. You touch his body. You take his health. See, there's two things that will bring you down faster than anything, your money and your health. Pull on those two strings, and, and you'll sing a different song. And he says, I know people. I know people. You, you touch their body, they'll curse you to your face. They'll blame you. They'll curse you. He's okay, you can touch his body, but he can't take his life. So you see how legally it works? He's limited. If the devil could do anything he wanted to, you'd be dead by now. If the devil could do anything he wanted to, there'd be no Billy Graham. He would have stopped him, he would long time ago. We wouldn't be talking about Billy Graham. He would just come in, snuff his life, but he can't. And you see Uh, When he's tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he suggests things, but he can't make him do anything because he's legally limited by God. He can't just do whatever he wants. If you give him permission, he'll run you over. Sometimes the way we give him permission is by what we yield to. If we yield to darkness, we yield to thinking the slow way to get control of your life is through your head. Fast ways is through drugs, the excessive use of alcohol there's different ways to get a, get into your, get into your life. The slow way is mentally wear you down mentally get you to believe certain things that 's another reason why we need to be part of a body who believes what we believe because those thoughts have come through our mind. You get the church, what we sing, what we preach, what we prophesy. All of us says, oh, I was thinking wrong. I, I was, I, all week I've been thinking the wrong thing and I, I'm so glad I went. It, it, when I heard the truth, it set me free. I, I come out through a song. Someone prayed it over me and you go out shinier, you go out stronger because you've come together for fellowship. It's a powerful thing. Here's the third thing. God is bound by certain legal things. There's things he cannot do. Not because he can't, because he won't. Because he's put rules on himself. He's limited himself to his own rules. He said, well, for example, I'll only work through people. They either have to pray it, proclaim it, prophesy it. Then I can do it. If they don't do it, if they don't pray, prophesy, or pro- proclaim, I can I've got nothing to work with. He just isn't just out there sovereignly doing all these things at his will. And people say, well, if he can do that, if he can just do whatever he wants to do, why is there, why is there a war in Afghanistan, and why is it, why good people get killed, and why did that baby get shot in Buffalo, and? And, and, and through a drive-by. and I mean, why is there venereal disease? Why is there all this stuff? Because we, su- we suppose if he's so big and he can do anything, he should stop all of that. And he says, I want to stop it, but I want to stop it through you. I work through people. That's one of the things he's put upon himself. So God's legally limited... The devil's legally limited. You're legally limited. The helmet of salvation, to me, is understanding the legal limits of, of how salvation works. The legal limits. The more I understand what God will and will not do, and the more I understand what I can and cannot do, what I, the more I understand what the devil cannot... I can't tell you how freeing it was to find out the devil was limited because, uh, like my pastor who had run into his closet and plead the blood of Jesus over his ears, he just didn't understand. He just didn't understand that somebody could say no to the devil and go have lunch, take a nap. We have to understand how salvation works. And there are people who, for example, believe that they can lose their salvation in some simple way, some little misdeed that they did. They've lost their salvation. Well, the enemy, he'll just take he'll, he'll play with their heads because their understanding of salvation is too weak. Your salvation is pretty tough. It's hard to lose your salvation. You can't lose it in your sleep. You can't lose it through osmosis. You can't make a little slip and lose it. It's tougher than any trampoline you've ever been on. Salvation's an awesome thing. Once you have it, it, it is really hard to lose. You have to work hard to get unsaved. But at the same time, there's a tipping point. There's a point where you can cross that line, cross that line, and then you're on the other side of something, and it's going to be really hard to get back into it. There's a tipping point. Around this time of year, a bunch of pastors and I, went, I took them up in the Adirondacks, we went camping, in this particular morning, it was so cold that there was the, the water was swirling in the, in the still water, was, was stirring, and a mist was coming off. You could see the water moving. And I remember going down to the look at the water early in the morning to pray, and thinking, this is not a day to be in that water. And I'd coached the men. We had these big, big aluminum canoes, and they're big flat-bottom canoes. And I told them because most of them had never been in a canoe before. And I said, now these canoes are flat bottom. They're really hard to tip, but there's a tipping point. There's a point where you, you can't butt tip, but it takes a lot to get to that point. So that morning, some of us were getting breakfast ready, and we heard, help, help, help. And we looked out, there's one of our pastors up to his nostrils in water, and the canoe upside down. We got in our canoes, we went over there, we hauled him out, we brought the canoe, we brought him out, he's soaking wet, we got him out of his clothes so fast, into some dry clothes, we're sitting around the fire, got a blanket around him, a cup of hot chocolate, all that stuff, and uh, we didn't, there was no reproach, no one said, you fool, No. no one said, you idiot. We just, everyone just gave to him, gave to him. And he he already felt bad enough. We didn't need to say anything. And so his first words, he finally did speak. And he says, well, I want to find out where that tipping point was. (laughs) He found it. But he also found it spiritually. He He found it morally. He found it out with pornography. He found it out with... If you're looking for it in the natural, you'll find it. You'll, you'll do it in the spirit as well. It wasn't long. He lost everything his ministry, his family, his kids. There's a tipping point. There's a point of no return. I don't know where it is, and it's different for every period. But it's part of understanding salvation and how salvation works. So this helmet of salvation is huge. It's a big thing, it protects your head from being played with by the devil. It's a big thing. Uh, Part of our protection, and as a church, I'll tell you, the day we stop preaching salvation, the day, the, the, the day we stop presenting healing, deliverance, God will help you, uh, so so all, all all of that's involved in salvation. The day we start leaving off those things because of public opinion or or criticism, the the devil the devil will get in. That'll be the downward side of our church. It, it'll slide from there. We can't. Forsake salvation. And there are so many churches on this street that no longer preach salvation. It's not what they hold out to people. They hold out pop psychology. They hold out uh, mental solutions. We need to keep this salvation flowing in our, in our lives and in our church. Amen. Don't ever get tired of it. Don't ever get tired of us talking about healing, deliverance, those things. It's part of salvation, the equal parts of salvation. The final piece of um, the armor that we should wear as a church and um, that we, you should wear, uh, we should wear as individuals. Verse 18. Praying with all prayer is part of the armor of God. Praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And we just, I feel like a broken record. Please don't get tired of me. Every Sunday, practically, I say, now just step back and let the spirit pray through you. I'm on to something. Uh, The the thing that'll kill a prayer meeting faster than anything is when we just pray by rote, is now lay me down to sleep kinds of prayers off the top of our heads. That will be so boring, so quickly, no one will want a prayer meeting. It has to be in the Spirit. It has to be you stepping back, saying, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit pray through me. That's what makes a difference. Praying with all prayers and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In other words, we, we intercede, we pray for each other, that's part of the armor of God. Pray for me. Uh, Paul goes on praying for me. This whole thing, if, if our prayer life as individuals and our prayer life as a church, and your prayer life is under attack, my prayer life is under attack. There's no question about it. The enemy does not want me to have a, a, a vibrant prayer life. He does not want us to be a praying church. If, we can, if he can cut that out of our lives... He can begin to take influence and control. And next thing you know, he's got us. He's got us thinking differently, believing differently, functioning differently. This this whole thing with prayer is huge. Now let me me express it one more way, then we'll move into some ministry time here. I learned this years ago. I, I probably heard it at a conference the first time about 1980. So I've practiced this for a long time. Not always consistently, but, but uh, have practiced it. I call it uh, prayer targets. And so um, uh, I'll say this to myself. Sometimes I'll even say it out loud. The devil would just be grinding on me, tempting me, working on me in a certain area. And so I'll say, I'll say okay, every time I'm tempted in that area, I'm going to pray for this issue over here in someone else's life. Or I'm, te- I, I'm, I, I'm tempted to, uh, um, to lust or something. So when that happens... If that's, if that's what happens and it's bother me, I'm going to pray for my spouse or I'm going to pray for someone else's marriage that's in trouble. And so it's a correlation kind of thing. It's an association. I get touched here, that reminds me, oh, oh, that reminds me, I'm going to pray for this over here. Well, you can't do that for only a few minutes and that whole temptation just dries right up. I mean, it just stops the temptation cold. After a while, the devil it gets boring because you're not being tempted hardly at all. Because as soon as you get tempted, you go off like a Roman candle, praying, praying for other marriages and praying for for uh this and that. And the devil he says, Whoa, whoa. Every time I touch, every time I touch the string, he prays. He goes off. So I would say, okay, all right, if I'm tempted in this area right here, here's my go-to automatically. I'm gonna say, oh, thank you, Mr. Devil, for reminding me that I'm supposed to pray for this. And you go to work and you pray for that. Well, you can't be praying like that and be tempted at the same time. Your temptation level will just t- totally drop off. It's part of the armor. Try it. How many of you be interested in trying this for a week? Can you put prayer targets on things? You have to pre-decide. You have to sometimes even write it down, say, okay, if I'm tempted, this is an area I'm I'm really being worn down in these days. Well, if I'm tempted to do that, then I'm going to pray. So that's going to remind me that I'm going to pray for this over here. Let's experiment with it for a week and just see if, what it does. Is this helpful? This is the armor of God. This will keep our church. This will keep you as a as a Christian. It stops the devil.